0: Our New Testament reading continuing in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. And thankfully, we're going to be reading about the Lord who is the living water. Amen. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And our sermon text is 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people,
1: Amen Thank you, right. Thank you, music team. It is good that we are here. Praise the Lord. Last time, we looked at Peter's words, which put forth the great doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture at the end of verse one, uh, and how the written word is more reliable and more trustworthy than our experiences. If you missed that, I encourage you to go to our website or uh, to our YouTube channel and listen to it or watch it, Uh, because the inspiration of Scripture is a key doctrine that every believer needs to embrace and strive to understand. Today, we begin our study of chapter 2, remembering, of course, that in the original documents and the original manuscripts, there were no chapter divisions, so this is flowing right from what we've just studied. Uh, and the whole chapter, uh, all, all 22 verses of chapter 2, um, is about those who would attack God's inspired Word. Those ever-present, man-centered, always with us, obnoxious, false teachers who lead God's people astray charles swindle offers these introductory words for us this morning when he writes false teachers often appear doctrinally sound personally attractive sincere and logically compelling but they are deceivers mind benders truth twisters 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, warns us to be aware of their wicked schemes. And that basically is the title for today's message, uh, Beware of False Teachers. Probably part one, because the whole chapter is false teachers, and we'll be in chapter two for probably two or three weeks. Uh, I'm confident as we study this, I believe we can be confident that Peter was remembering as he wrote this. The warning of his Lord and our Lord in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, when Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So, for the next few weeks, we'll be looking at Peter's words about false teachers. So, let's begin this morning and ask God to help us, Father. It is so good that we are here. Thank you for calling us together this morning, and drawing us here to this time of corporate worship. Help us now to worship you by the way we listen, by the way we listen to your word preached. We ask, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart together corporately will be pleasing to you, our rock, our redeemer, our truth-teller, our Lord, our master, our Savior, living waters. Oh, God, let us come and drink today, drink thirstily and joyfully as we take in your word. Speak to his Father, for your servants are ready to hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've got some words of warning here in verses 1 uh, to 3, and uh, we've got about five of them for you this morning if you're using your seat saver. Um, so uh, the first one is, false teachers will dwell among our unsuspecting churches. False teachers will dwell among our unsuspecting churches. We see that in the first part of verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be, will be, there will be false teachers among you. The word but there is a conjunction of contrast, indicates that we're about to get a contrast to what was just discussed, namely God's inspired Word. We're about to get a contrast to God's inspired Word of absolute truth, which is totally reliable. So whereas chapter 1 ended with the discussion of the source of God's Word, namely God Himself, as His Spirit carried along the human writers of Scripture, making the Bible always sure and always reliable... Chapter 2, in contrast, begins with a discussion of those who would strive to twist and distort and attack God's Word, namely the unreliable, untrustworthy false prophets and teachers who need to be totally avoided by God's people. Peter begins by reminding his readers of the history of of the people of God and the existence of false prophets in the past. The Old Testament, as you I'm sure you know, confident that you know, is replete with the account of Israel's dealings with false prophets and God's condemnation of them. They should be put to death, they should be stoned. And he says basically here to his readers in his second letter, Don't think that this problem has ended just because the Messiah has come and defeated death. Don't think that that this was just an old covenant phenomenon. There will also be false teachers among you. So beware. Beware. Be alert. Don't go to sleep. So unfortunately, like weeds in a garden. These attackers of truth will always be here. They will always be here until the last day when God finally and ultimately deals with them. Just because their boss, Satan, was defeated at the cross doesn't mean that he has stopped harassing Christ's followers by sending his minions to be among us. They will always be here until Jesus returns. Christ himself makes that clear in his parable of the weeds in in Matthew 13. There will always be the false among the true. There will always be tares among the wheat, both among the teachers and among the hearers. This is why Peter told us in his first letter to prepare our minds for action. In 1 Peter 1.13. And why Paul told us to put on the helmet of salvation which, which guards our mind. The helmet of salvation along with all the, the rest of the armor in order to fight the battle against uh, those haters of God's truth. It's why Paul gave this warning to the Ephesian elders when, uh, when he, he was handing them. The baton of leadership. In Acts chapter 20, we read this in verses 28 to 31. He said to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves. Start with yourselves. You be alert. You be watchful. You be wary. Be, pay, pay careful attention to yourselves, to your own spiritual growth and spiritual life, and to all the flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in. They will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, that's exactly what Peter's saying, right? From among your own selves will arise men speaking. Twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. So, Paul was passing the torch on to them to take care and to protect the people of God from these wolves in sheep's clothing. The bottom line is this, false teachers will always be around until Christ returns. Heretics who deny the deity of Christ. Hucksters who diminish and or misrepresent Christ's atonement. Charlatans who misrepresent God's word for personal gain. Beware, beloved, be on guard. Guard the truth. Don't fall for their lies. Be careful of who you click on. On the internet. Don't even tolerate them. John MacArthur gives this pointed warning quote, Ironically, many in today's church do exactly the opposite, tolerating any teacher who claims to be a Christian, regardless of the content of his teaching. Such mindless acceptance in the name of love and unity has tragically produced a careless indifference to the truth. As a result, some Christians view biblical absolutes as an embarrassment, preferring to embrace false teachers despite the Bible's clear protest, end quote. So, dear church family, false teachers are among us, and I'm using that word broadly now, not here, hopefully, but among the people of God in in the broad sense. They are among us. They're on the airwaves pushing their DVDs, they're all over the cyber world, begging us for money, promising us, promising us miraculous healings and wealthy prosperity, building their own little kingdoms of deceit. So beware, beware, be watchful. Put on that helmet, guard your mind, guard your heart for any are the wellsprings of life. Pray for your elders that we will be ready to follow the admonition of Titus 1 9. Given to elders, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Not false doctrine, sound doctrine, solid doctrine, true doctrine. And don't stop, there's no period there and also to rebuke those who contradict it notice the twofold instruction to your elders teach and rebuke teach and correct teach and call attention to the error which sometimes involves naming names and for some people some reason some people don't like that. They get all upset about that. I mean, I was accosted one time right here before the Lord's Supper after a message where I named a name. And just, you know, just attacked verbally right here trying to come to the Lord's Supper. Hey, please. Okay. Uh, let's, we can meet out in the parking lot if you want to. But anyway, wh- let me come to the Lord's table right now. Okay. Paul named names. You look to the Old, New Testament. Names were named of false teachers. So we can't shy away from that. How, how, how are we going to protect you from them if we don't tell you who they are? <laughs> okay, so that's the first warning. Uh, false teachers will dwell among unsuspecting churches. Number two, false teachers will distort our undefended beliefs. They will, in verse one, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Another translation, they will sneak in alongside you. They will slyly enter local bodies of believers with teachings designed to wreak havoc and destruction in the spiritual lives of God's people. It will often be subtle. It will be dressed up with bits of truth. It will be a mixture of false and true, proper biblical words will be used improperly they will use the right words in the wrong way and if we're not guarding the truth if we are not discerning false teachings will take hold and weaken the body of Christ listen to Jude's words in his little letter in verses three and four of Jude he writes this beloved Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Contend for it. Fight for it. Defend it. Defend for, not contend for faith. Contend for the faith. That little definite article is huge. It means the revealed faith, the revealed teachings of of the word of God contend for the faith the one and only faith that was once for all delivered to the saints why well for which also as we all know means because for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, you read that and you say, man, Peter, it it sounds like Peter might have read Jude's letter. And in fact, one commentator writes this, many of the examples in this chapter are taken from the book of Jude. It is very likely that Peter had a copy of Jude and referred to it constantly while writing this part of the letter. And the evidence for that looks pretty compelling, doesn't it? Look at the similarities in wording. Jude says, uses the phrase, they crept in unnoticed. And Peter says, they secretly bring in. Pretty synonymous, right? Jude says, long ago were designated for this condemnation. And Peter writes, their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Jude writes, they deny our only master and Lord. And Peter writes, denying the master who bought them. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Peter, why did you say bought them? That's, that's caused us a lot of trouble in this day. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, Paul closes his first letter to his disciple Timothy like this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the truth or from the faith. So, To defend against the destructive heresies of false teachers, we must be ready to guard God's truth. Guard it with conviction, guard it with passion, guard it with joy, guard it with thanksgiving that it's been given to us. We must be ready to contend for the faith. Young people, when your parents and grandparents are dead and gone, you got to take that up. You got to take that mantle up. And you got to be ready to, to contend for the faith that God has so graciously given you. To guard the deposit of truth that has been entrusted to us. What a privilege. What a calling. What a joy. So, false teachers will dwell among unsuspecting churches. They will distort our undefended beliefs. That's why we've got to defend them. We've got to contend for them. Thirdly, they will deceive our unguarded minds. False teachers will deceive our unguarded minds. In the first part of verse 3, Peter says that these false teachers will exploit. They will exploit God's people. The Greek word means to deprive somebody of something by deceit. By deceit. Paul expressed this fear in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, when he wrote, <clears throat> For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid. That as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So, our whole problem of sin began with deception. Deception by the ultimate false teacher, Satan himself, when Eve was deceived. And she and her husband, Adam, fell into into disobedience and sin, thus plunging the whole world into sin. And according to Paul, Satan wants to lead us away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He doesn't want us to love Christ. He doesn't want us to adore Jesus no matter what. He doesn't want us to be totally devoted to him. Your kids rockers can tell you about our study of Job the last couple of weeks and why Satan wanted to destroy Job. Because he was blameless and upright and he feared God. Satan hates that. He hates that, so he uses false teachers to lead us astray and away from Christ. And often the motivator for these false teachers is greed, as Peter tells us. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Now, this is probably referring to financial greed, but it can also include sexual greed and greed for places of honor. Chuck Swindle wrote, our heresy meter should buzz loudly when we see an overwhelming emphasis on money. And man, how perfect is this? Just this week, just this past week, we get this update email from our brother Ryan Curry in, in, from Liberia where uh, he is. And, and we gladly and joyfully are supporting them. And he's there teaching pastors in Liberia, teaching them how to teach the Word rightly, teaching them how not to be false teachers, teaching them how to uh, come against the false teachers, how to refute them, as Titus nine tells them to do. And in that email, he wrote this. He says, one of the relationships I've developed is with a Lebanese man named, and I'm thinking it's Hatim. H-A-T-E-M, Hatem. Hatem is a Muslim shop owner. I think Ryan goes on to say he bought his sofa from him or whatever. So he's developed this relationship with this Muslim shop owner. And he goes on, I stopped by his store to talk yesterday, and he asked me to tell him more about what I do. I had shared with him previously that I'm here teaching at a school for Christian pastors. As a Muslim, there was a fact... This was a very strange idea to him. He asked, Ryan, what is going on with the churches here? I asked what he meant, and he shared a story about how a Liberian pastor invited him to his church, and it was very clear that it was all about getting money and things from people, from the people. Ryan goes on, the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. That brings reproach on the name of christ this businessman could tell not even a christian but he could tell that the primary goal of many churches here is all about shameful gain greed the greed that peter is calling out here i told him that this issue is the very reason we are here in liberia aren't you thankful aren't you thankful that they're there Aren't you thankful to be partnering with them and to be helping them in that? By doing that, we are battling false teachers. We are are standing against them, the ones that Peter is talking about here. I told them that this issue is the very reason we are here in Liberia. I explained that we are here to train pastors to be focused on the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ rather than financial gain. Amen, Ryan. And we're with you, man. If you're watching by any chance, we're with you. We're with you, and we're glad to be with you. So you be praying for the Curry family. You continue to pray for them. Fourth warning. Fourth word of warning that Peter gives us in verse 2 false teachers will defame, they will defame our unashamed lifestyle. It says, Many will follow their sensuality, many will be sucked in. And because of them, the way of truth, the way of truth, i.e., the Christian life, will be blasphemed, slandered, libeled. So even though we are not ashamed of the gospel, nor are we ashamed of Jesus Christ, even though we are not ashamed to proclaim the truth of God's word... Without compromise, without watering it down, because of false teachers who claim to be on our side, who claim to be believers, who claim to be Christians, who claim to be followers of Christ, the way of truth, our way of life, our way of belief will be blasphemed. The Christian life will be slandered. Followers of Christ will be mocked and ridiculed, including us, because of kooky teaching and outlandish claims. We get thrown in with them. So please realize that. That's why we can't turn a blind eye to it. We have to call it out, just like Titus 1.9 says. So, because false teachers claim to be Christian, they claim to be biblical, and, and, you know, this is one of the reasons, and we go over this in our Membership Matters class, two weeks from today, okay, any of the visitors here interested in membership here, two weeks from today, 9.30, Modular Unit 1, Membership Matters six-week class starts on that day. This is why one of the main emphasis there is, um, well, we, we... we can't just say we believe the Bible. Well, we have to have a confession of faith. We have to have a, conf- a written confession, a written, and a written condensed statement of faith that says what we believe the Bible teaches. We can't just say we believe the Bible because Benny Hinn says that. Joel Osteen says that, okay? We can't just say it that, that way, sadly. We have to put down what we believe the Bible teaches in the major areas of life. Okay, obviously our statement of faith, the shorter statement, or our longer confession of faith that we've adopted, the 1689, doesn't cover everything in the Bible, but it covers the major points of doctrine, and it tells you clearly what we believe about these doctrines, what we believe the Bible teaches about these things. And that's why we have, to, we have to do that, because of false teachers. That's exactly why we have a, we've adopted a confession of faith. We've latched on with our forefathers from the 17th century. And while we have a statement of faith, which, which would be the first thing we would give to a, an inquirer about our church, because it's shorter, easier to digest. And if you want more detail, then you go to the 1689 to see what the detail is. Okay. But false teachers is the very reason we do that. Because false teachers say they believe the Bible. Okay? With me? Amen. All right. So, because false teachers claim to be Christian, the world, the world, one of our three enemies, right? World, flesh, Satan. The world lumps all Christians in with them. Yeah, not fair, but we don't want fair, right? Fair would be hell for every one of us. But that's just the way it is. That's just the facts of life. We're lumped right in there with all the kooks because they claim to be Christians. It's sad. It's sad. False teachers give the body of Christ a bad name. And in doing that, Jesus himself is blasphemed. Now, why can I say that? I can say that because of what Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9 when he blinded him, knocked him off his horse, and saved him. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? No, he didn't say that, did he? No, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So, Blasphemy against Christians because of false teachers is blasphemy against Jesus. Lastly, number five, fifth word of warning. So far, false teachers will dwell among unsuspecting churches. They will distort our undefended beliefs. They will deceive our unguarded minds and they will defame our unashamed lifestyle. Finally, they will deny our unrivaled Lord. Verse one, end of verse one says, "Even he says they are even denying the Master who bought them." This is the bottom line. They are denying Jesus. They refused his lordship over their lives. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 to 33. He says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So people who deny Jesus either with word or by lifestyle, are not saved. They are not Christians. Denying Jesus equals unsaved, not saved. You say, I know what you might be saying. Well, but it says he bought them. And this is what I want to talk to Peter about later, okay? Uh, he bought them. He bought, he, they did not... They're bought people. They're bought people. This is one of those sticky verses uh, that people will often use to push the uh, universal atonement teaching that Jesus died for everybody, but it's up to them. You know, Jesus makes this offer. He paid for everybody, but you've got to put the final key in the final lock to unlock the combination of salvation. What, what, what is, this say? is this saying? Is this saying that he bought them, but then they lost their salvation, or they said, no, no thanks? Or uh, is it saying that Jesus bought them with his blood, but, but they had the final say and ultimately denied the payment, no thank you, Jesus? Or is, is it proof <coughs> as many... Many say that Jesus died for everybody. He he bought everyone by paying for their sin with his blood, but everybody has the right of acceptance or refusal. And the short answer is no to all of that. No to all of that, okay? Number one, remember, we interpret Scripture by the entirety of Scripture, right? The analogy of faith. Scripture is interpreted by Scripture. Scripture is not interpreted by how we feel. We just studied that at the end of chapter 1. No private interpretation. Scripture is not interpreted by how we feel or what we think this means or what does that mean to you. Or we don't pluck one verse out and build a whole doctrine on it like many have done with this verse. See, Jesus bought everybody. Well, not according to other places of scripture, okay? So, number 1, let's let's try to deal with the, each one of them. First, true saints will persevere. They will persevere to the end. A genuinely genuinely saved person will not lose his or her salvation and will not Turn it down. Well, now, oh, Jesus, no, I'm decided I don't want to go to heaven. You know, never mind. You know, thanks for buying me, but no thanks. No, the Bible is clear throughout. We could name numerous verses. For time's sake, just going to give you one. Words of Jesus himself, John chapter 6, verses 37 to 40. All that the Father gives me, all the people that the Father gives me will come to me. They will come. Irresistible grace. The I in tulip. They will come, and whoever comes to me. There's the whoever. There's a general call. Yeah, there's a like. At some point today, there'll probably be a general call in this message. Okay, one day, if not today, the elect will respond to it. The non-elect won't. They'll get fairness. They'll get justice. They'll get what they deserved. The elect will get mercy nobody gets injustice nobody gets unfairness nobody's treated unfairly the wages of sin is death and fair treatment of that is hell forever so dear unsafe person if that's where you want to stay then go for it but i got good news for you today's the day of salvation today is the day of salvation come to jesus come to jesus by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that God gives you when he saves you, which becomes the proof that he has regenerated you. You don't do that to get saved. You do that because you are saved. So, a genuine person will not not lose his salvation. I think I interrupted Jesus. Let me go back to the passage here. uh, Sorry about that. He says... They will come to me, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. You say, well, uh, that, that doesn't prove anything, but I, I could decide to be cast casted. No, 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 you get a new heart. You get a new heart that loves God and wants to serve God, and that wants to grow in the grace and knowledge of who he is. No. He says, for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is, now listen, this answers the question, this answers the guy who says, well, yeah, I know he won't cast me out, but I can decide to walk out. Well, no, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. I lose nothing. I lose no sheep. No sheep walks away. No sheep strays from the the fold, ultimately. I lose nothing. That includes people saying they can change their mind. I lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. Dear beloved, if God has given you to Jesus, you will be standing with him on the last day. You can count on it. You can count on it. For this is the will of my father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. No one loses their salvation. That's clear. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. And we interpret the unclear that we have here in 2 Peter 1.3 or 1.1. With the clear. It, the Bible clearly teaches that salvation cannot be lost. So Second Peter one can 1, uh, can't mean that you can lose your salvation. It's got to mean something else. So we keep studying, right? Second, if this is saying that Jesus died for every single person that's ever lived. Then, then think through the logical conclusion of that with me. Okay? If Jesus died for everyone, then hell is full of people whose sins were paid for. Result God is unjust. He's required double payment he took Jesus' payment at the cross and then he's making the individual pay again in hell and God is not the righteous God that the Bible says he is he punished Jesus for their sin and now he's punishing the sinner also forever double payment unjust God blasphemy, blasphemy against God. So what's the resolution to the verse? What, what, what does the verse mean? Well, the false teachers were claiming that Christ was their Redeemer. I think when we get to heaven and talk to Peter, you can take this, leave this, flush it, or chunk it. I'll always try to tell you when it's my opinion, so you can reject this or whatever. But I think Peter's being sarcastic here. And we can talk to him about it when we get to heaven. I think he's being sarcastic. He, he heard them say that Christ was their redeemer. And now he's by your actions, guys, you're you're denying the one that you say bought you. You're, you're denying the master who bought you. R- really? Really? I think there's some, there's some sarcasm here. Yeah, and there's a sarcasm in other places of the Bible. Remember when Paul told the Judaizers in Galatians, I wish you'd just go ahead and cut it all off, okay? <laughs> but, but how sarcastic can you get, you know? Galatians 5, it's there, okay? I wish they would go ahead and emasculate themselves, okay? Now, how did I get to that? I'm sorry, okay? Okay. <laughs> But that's a proof of inspiration. It goes back to the doctrine of inspiration that we talked about last week, remember? These guys didn't become automatons. They didn't become robotic dictators. God left them with their personalities. And he said exactly what he wanted to say through them. Okay, so the resolution. Back to the resolution. The false teachers were claiming that Christ was their redeemer. They were claiming That Jesus had bought them with his blood. If you bounce quickly, and we'll get there maybe two or three weeks from now, but if you bounce quickly to the end of the chapter, you'll see that Peter is describing what's going on here. Verses 20 to 22. He says, 1 Peter 2 20, for if After they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, oh, they knew Jesus, well, mentally. Our churches are filled with people who know Jesus mentally, they know about him, okay? They again, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Why? Because they claim to know Jesus. They're held to a greater account. It's worse for them than before they knew about Jesus. And the Bible does teach there's going to be degrees of punishment in hell. Jesus talked about it in the gospel. Some received many lashes, some received few lashes. whole other subject, okay, I'm, I'm getting on a lot of other subjects here this morning. Got to rein myself back in, okay, uh, The last state has become worse for them than the first. Verse 21, listen. For it would have been better for them never to have known mentally, mentally the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow after washing herself Returns to wallow in the mire. Bottom line, these dudes were never saved. They were never saved. They claimed to be. They claimed to be bought. They claimed to be redeemed. But they were not. And that interpretation lines up with the totality of Scripture about how a person is saved, about a person's eternal security. Cetera. What cetera. What it means to be saved totally lines up with the rest of Scripture. The false teachers knew about Jesus mentally. They claimed to be His, but their actions proved otherwise. See, this isn't the only time we see difficult Scriptures like this, challenging Scriptures like this. What about the end of John 2? Many believed in His name. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Many believed in his name. But you keep reading. But Jesus was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew what was in man. He knew there were a lot of false believers. He knew there were a lot of phony believers. He knew there were, that there were people all over the place who say, who say with their mouth they're Christians and aren't. So Peter is saying in verse 1, by your actions in teaching false doctrine, by your actions in leading God's people astray, you are denying the very one you claim has bought you. So it doesn't matter what you claim, beloved. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you claim about your redemption. We are not saved by profession. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. Only then we profess properly with our mouths and our actions. MacArthur says it like this, quote, The false teachers of Peter's day claimed Christ as their Redeemer, yet they refused to accept His sovereign Lordship thus revealing their true character as unregenerate enemies of biblical truth. And the apostle John he speaks to it in his first letter, 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, 18 and 19, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us. Who's the they, John? It's these people with the, I like to refer to it as, this is one of those kind of gray areas where we can talk about it, but I don't believe there's a so much a capital A one Antichrist. There's this spirit, the, uh, the spirit of the age, the spirit of Antichrist that is, is going to get bigger and larger as we go along. And the they here are the are the false teachers with this spirit of antichrist this spirit of of being against christ against the truth and he says they they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have continued with us there you have it perseverance of the saints you will, if, if you're truly saved, you will stick. You will stick. On the last day, you'll be standing with us and with Jesus. You'll be there. Yes, we all have these times and periods where we get off the path, we get off the road, we fall, we, but we get back up. And ultimately, at the last day, we will be there. They will be there. They were not of us. Why? For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have stuck. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So, five words of warning. He's also got a word of judgment, some words of judgment. First in verse 1, they will bring upon themselves swift destruction. They're bringing this upon themselves. They will bring upon themselves swift destruction. I love what Simon Kistemacher says in his commentary. He says, The term destruction occurs twice in the last part of this verse. Peter writes that these teachers, because of their anti-Christian activities, bring swift destruction on themselves. By furtively entering the church for the purpose of destroying its members with false doctrines, these teachers destroy themselves. Indeed, they are on a suicidal mission." That's ultimately where they're headed. And I guess instead of disliking these people, we need to be sad for them. We need to be sad for them. Yeah, we need to defend against their falsities. Falsities, these, their false statements. But we need to be sad for them. Because they're bringing upon themselves ultimate destruction. These people, these heretics, these false teachers, they will not escape God's judgment. They were condemned in the Old Testament and they will be held to account under the new covenant. God's wrath will fall upon them. Jesus, truth incarnate, will have the final say hear these foreboding words from verse 3 again their condemnation is not idle and their destruction is not asleep the day of accounting is coming for them that's why beloved we need to be on the side of truth always constantly alert awake contending for it. Let's wrap it up. As I said earlier, uh, we've studied Job at Kids Rock in the last two lessons. And when you get home today, ask your Kids Rocker what the main lesson of Job is. And if you're sitting with you right now, they can look up at you and maybe say it with me right now. The main lesson of Job, what is it? We do not worship God for what He gives. We worship God for who he is. And your kids know that. Your kids know that, okay? This is why we should strive to teach rightly about who he is. We should teach his mercy and his judgment. We should teach his love, which we so beautifully sang about in that new song, love that new song. And his wrath we should teach all his attributes not just pick out the ones we like and they're sweet to us and give us goosebumps or butterflies or marshmallows in our stomach or whatever we teach all his attributes the easy to accept ones and the hard ones we teach how he saves lost sinners that, that we'll talk more about this i think next week but that we bring nothing to the table We don't make the final call. Okay? We need to teach how he loves his people and how he hates sin. We need to teach the promise of heaven and the reality of hell. And since I brought up Job, I wanted to remind you what he said. What what did God say when God finally showed up in chapter 38? After, you know, patiently bearing with the conversation between Job and his friends. He shows up in chapter 38, the last four chapters. It's pretty much God speaking. And the book ends in around verse 7 with God saying this. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. Why, God? Why Why? why, why are you so upset? Why are you so mad? Why are you so angry? Why is your anger burning? For you have not spoken of me what is right. God's anger burns, beloved, when we do not speak rightly about Him, when we do not teach rightly about Him. May we never forget that. And may we beg God for help in teaching rightly, teaching sound doctrine. And may we always strive from the Sunday school teacher of the youngest class to the whoever stands in this pulpit. May we strive to teach his precious word rightly. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us teach your word. Thank you so much for it. Thank you for the words of Peter and the words of Paul and the words of Jesus that you have lovingly set down for us in this precious book. Help us to heed them and to constantly strive to preach your word and teach your word rightly because we know that we live in a day and age where where people will gather to themselves, people who will tickle their ears and say what they want to say and say what they want to hear. So help us to stand against that for our good, the good of our unborn children, and the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.